0: Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 this Podcasting Network. I'm making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate Last time we... We're talking about adding variables to multiple regression. To a regression model, when do you add variables uh, and how, how do you deal with them? Um, first thing you have to make sure is that your mouse... There we go. Um... And I said, you know, if you had a five-variable model and you add a sixth, does r squared go up? And as I noted, I think, last time, it has to. r squared is a measure of total variation in y, in the thing you're predicting, accounted for by all the x variables. It could not go down. Okay? So by how much is the question you're asking is, and I think I ended last time by saying it's, is it enough? And it's always going to be something. The question is, is it enough to make it worthwhile to add the extra level of complexity? You've lost degrees of freedom and you've got an extra level of complexity because instead of it being y equals b0 plus b1x1, now it's y equals b0 plus b1x1 plus b2x2. it's a little more complicated. So... Statistically, we look at something other than R squared. R squared can be useful, but we look at something different, and I would never ask you to, 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 to show me this. But what this is is called adjusted R squared, and what it does is it actually accounts for the number. Uh, it, it, this actually can go down. It accounts for how many variables are in the model. So adjusted R squared does that. It's just weighted by the number of predictors. Okay. So if adjusted R squared goes down, that's you're going to say, well, if I'm clearly not going to use that. We'll take it back out. Okay. So just, if you're ever looking at an output, this is never something that's reported, by the way, in a paper. This is something you're doing when you're doing the regression model and trying to get what, what variables go into something. Um, so you have a bunch of models. That's what you end up with. I mean, and then you have to decide which model is the best model. So let's pretend we've got a model that has just X1 in it. And we've got the regression mean square, or sum of squares 50. And let's bring in another one. This is the one with just X2 in it. Okay, so regression mean square, or sorry, sum of square here is just 30 instead of fifty. And then we got the one with both variables in the model. And it's got eighty. Which one of those is the best model? There is an incorrect answer. <laughs> now remember what remember what just think about just don't worry really about adjusted R squared. Just think about what R squared is and R squared is just sum of squares regression over sum of squares total. What's the sum of squares total? 130. Note that it's always 130. It's not always 130 every time you do progression. It's 130 in this case, where I've made up this example. So the total sum of squares for this design, there's a finite amount of variation in Y. In our case here, we call it 130. 130 what? Well, units of variation. Sum of squares, okay? So if we have all the variance in y, right here, okay? And then we bring in, let's see, x1 accounts for, well, 50 out of 130 5 thirteenths, so not this much. Okay? And x2? It's a little less, eh? Okay? It's not that much less, but... Makes it a little easier to read, and this sum of squares for regression is this. Okay, which one do you like best? Well, well let's 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 turn that its head. Which one's the worst? The one with just x two in the model, right? Because it's not accounting for very much variance right? There's very little overlap. 3 13ths, not very much. So between these two, and this, when I just say x1 or x2, what I really mean, of course, it's just sort of shorthand, is this, y hat equals b0 plus b1 x1 plus e, y hat equals b0 plus, did I say x1? Yes. Okay. That's short, it's shorthand that uh, I'm using here. Which one do you like the best? Well, because nobody seems to want to say anything. Chickens. I hate them all equal. You're so full of hate. You're like your mother. (laughs) It's a joke. It's a running joke. I call Isabel a hater. She's not. It's just a joke. Yeah, she loves that. Yeah. It's a joke. (laughs) A joke. She'll never hear the podcast. Like she's going to listen to something on multiple (laughs) regression. Yes, because I'm known for my level headedness. (laughs) Um, So. This one accounts for 8/13ths of all the variants. This one accounts for 5/13ths of all the variants. Right? 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 You you see that? You see why that's the case? There's 130 in total. 80 out of 130, 50 out of 130. So 5/13ths and 8/13ths. So, this one, it accounts for a lot of variance with only one variable. This one accounts for a lot more, but there's two variables. The two variables make it a little more complicated because it's not a line anymore, it's a surface. A little harder to imagine, harder to draw. I would still prefer this. However, I could see an argument for this one. I could see an argument for this one. Because it's so simple. It's just a line. There is no argument for this one. I like things that don't predict very well. Would be the only argument there, which is not really a very good argument for a regression model. Okay? Do you understand the logic I went through, the steps I went through there? Make some sense? So you're actually looking at... How much variance is accounted for? They're all significant. Okay, so we have these sums of squares for regression. And remember, we talked, I talked about empty cells the day over, we talked about type 1 and type 2 sums of squares. Well, you can get these, this kind of information from regression. Type 1 sums of squares depend upon the order you put them in the model, type 2 sums of squares don't. What? It's like this. This is an idealized case. Did you notice something weird here? These x1 and x2 don't overlap. You think that's common? Probably not, Probably not right? You think that you got to have two variables that correlate not at all with each other, but a whole bunch with something else? It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. The universe doesn't work that way. If only it were true, but it doesn't work that way. It's more likely, in fact, you're going to get something. Let's bring in an x3 here. It looks like that. Oh, shit that's no good. Now if we put x2 in, or if we put x1 in only, and we've calculated the sum of squares, and now we calculate x3, oh, well, it's only this little bit here. However, if we didn't put x1 in first, we put x3 in first, oh, it's all this. So in fact, what you do is you kind of ignore what are called type 1 sum of squares. The type twos assume there's something already in the model. Okay, So they, they account for only extra variation, not shared variation. That's really what you're interested in. You want to look at how much extra variance is accounted for when you add in a new variable. Because think of the absurd example. Let's have X4. X4 is just X1 except written in... In black. Would you want X4 in the model, too? Well, of course not. It's the same damn thing. Is it predicting anything else? No. But it's got a fancy new name. It's like saying, well, we can predict the latitude someone's at by the temperature in Celsius. What if we threw in the temperature in Fahrenheit? You think that would help? Well, no. It's exactly the same thing, just in a different scale, right? A different scale. And then perhaps use Kelvins and then degrees Rankine. It's third line Kelvin, except Fahrenheit. So let's say we have a three variable model x1, x2, x3. Again, there's a y, there's an error, there's an intercept. The type 1 sum of squares, if we do x1 first, is x1. And then X1, X2, and then X1, X2, X3. This is the useful one over here, the type 2. X1 given, X2 and X3 are already there. X2 given, X1 and X3 are already there. X3 given, X1 and X2 are already there. Note, they don't care what order they went in. And they're directly related to the different types of sums of squares that we talked about with empty cells and analysis of variance. At a deep mathematical level, analysis of variance and regression are exactly the same thing. They're just models for testing. Or they're exceedingly similar, let's say that. So typically, this is all you're going to pay attention to in an output is the type 2s. Uh, the type 1s are there. You're going to say, why would you even have a type 1? There are times when if you want to really complicated things with sum of squares and say x2 and x3 in the model, given x4, x5, and x7, then you need all the x1s to calculate it. It's very complicated. You've got to do that by hand usually. Typically, that's the kind of thing you do like in your PhD level stats. Let's not worry about that. So the type twos are what you're going to care about. And in fact, the default on things like SPSS and SAS is type twos. So why should you care? Well, it's a required course. But also, (laughs) if there's no correlation between the variables, the type ones should equal the type twos. The correlation between variables is the overlap right here. We see here we have a correlation between X3 and X1 because they overlap, don't they? That's a correlation. So that's one way they can be useful at the level that, you know, we're talking about in this course. If there's a correlation, the type 1s will not equal the type 2s. Okay? Those are delicious maple candies. They are truly delicious. You brought the maple candies? You should be very proud of yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll talk a bit more about this idea of correlation later. Here's a tip though. Look at these look at these models over here. Little hint. Do you see anything about overlap between x variables in there? Nope. It's a problem. They might actually be made with, like, actual maple syrup or something. Mm-hmm. That's not just some kind of flavoring, some sort of flavoring ester developed in a lab. So, like they The real but thing? Ah. Mm. So that's, that's right. Yeah. Mousique. Quel bonbon. Quelle salle, sir. Me. That's a different French. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I speak French. I speak French like i from, from a bar in, Sh- in Sherbrooke. Um, okay. So type twos give you the extra variation of for by having a variable in the model, given the other ones are already there. That's why they're useful. Because you don't care if we had a, variant, a model... Uh, sorry. It, we can also think of the variance in y being like this. Like a big bar instead of a Venn diagram, whereas my grade 13 algebra teacher called it Venn diagram. That's a killer impression of Mr. Letts, my grade 13 algebra teacher. Okay, so if we have X1, let's say this is, you know, (laughs) that's a hell of a variable because it's accounting for almost half, it looks like. Now... If we add x2, and it only accounts for that much more, we're not going to use it. It's not, you know, the extra level of complexity isn't worth our while The loss of degrees of freedom. So that's what these things are given, these type two sums of squares. And again, that's what you're going to get in an output typically. You have to usually ask for type one sum of squares. They're not that useful unless you're doing, again, some song and dance with trying to find out like x2, x3 given x4, x5, x6, that kind of thing, which you aren't typically playing. This can actually give us something called the coefficient of partial determination. Um, it's sort of the opposite of R, big R squared. Big R squared is called the cor- the coefficient of multiple determination. The coefficient of partial determination is how much Does X2 correlate with Y, given X1's taken away? It's kind of like, sometimes you'll hear people say something has been statistically controlled for when they do a correlation. That's what they're talking about. So it's extra variation. So the coefficient of partial determination gives us the extra variance accounted for by adding in another variable. So in this example here, it's this little bit here. It may be the case, by the way. In fact, it almost certainly is the case. Then, all of that is X2, and all of that is X1. But the extra amount that X2 accounts for, where it doesn't overlap with X1, is just this little tiny thing here. Okay? So they're measuring very similar things. Question so far. I know it's it's very conceptual this stuff. Good. Okay. You can square this value, by the way, and get the, the, the partial correlation, which is useful. It's a neat uh, quantity that way, and that's 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 something you might see in a paper a partial correlation. It's just a statistically controlled correlation. I've managed to figure out how to turn the heat up. Have you noticed this? It's only been three months. It's actually getting a little warm now. Okay, now why does this matter? Think about our model. y hat equals b sub zero plus b sub one x sub one plus b sub two x sub two plus dot 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 plus b sub p minus one x sub p minus one plus e. That's our model, right? That's, the, that's what we're trying to do. There's nothing there about two variables together, is there? There's no B sub 9, X sub 1, X sub 2. There's nothing about two variables being together. Think about the ANOVA model, right? The old ANOVA model, like just the, you know, X equals mu plus, let's say, alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. That's got two things together. But look at this. There's no place here where we have two variables together. We have coefficients, but those are constants. Right? There's no time when we have variables together. And if there's no time, if, it, if it's not there, the only place it goes is here. Error. It's variance we can't explain. I can't explain. I think it's love. I try to say it to you when I feel blue, but I can't explain. Who? Anybody? Yeah. No? Couple of you. Good. Do 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 They should have stopped in about nineteen seventy four or seventy three. just keep going and going and going. I saw a recent concert of theirs. Yeah. It was you saw it live or you saw it? No, no, but I just thought I had the DVD. Damn. The most recent concert, concerts, and vocals were just. Well, Roger Daltrey's like seventy-five years old. There's no way you can sing like that anymore. I'm not, not. I'm not. Yeah. Against him, I'm, it's a natural thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. They should have taken like, the Robert Plant approach and just stop. Yeah. No, there's a time when you just stop. <clears throat> Sound also applies to this room. Feel hot and cold. Very good. <laughs> So we call this problem multicollinearity when we have correlations of predictor variables. There, there's a definition for you. What's multicollinearity? It's correlation of predictor variables and multiple regression. See, what you're doing then is you're violating an assumption because the assumptions all fall out of a model and they're, not, it's not, they're in the model. So the Bs will change. These, we're sometimes erroneously called beta weights, these will change, these coefficients. It'll make them inaccurate guesses, inaccurate estimates. That's we actually—that's what we're interested in. So, how do we detect multicollinearity? Well, you could take the PhD stats course I took, where we had a four-hour lecture on detection of multicollinearity. Times. That was fun. (laughs) (laughs) And in other lies. uh, Yeah, that was not a fun stats course. The first one I took, the day Novak course, was outstanding. I loved it. It Fun. It was good. Just like this, you know. Just like this. But that was not a fun time. That was hard. That stuff. Got through it. Well, the easiest way, in fact, would just look at correlation of x variables. So you have the data, run a correlation of all variables together, and you get what's called a correlation matrix, right? It prints out, and you'll have like you know, you know, x one, x two, x three x1, x2, x3, and it's not going to give you correlations here because there's no correlations. 0.32. Let's so see, that's 2 and 1, so uh, 0.32, uh, negative 0.4, so 3 and 1 negative 1, negative 0.4, 0.5, 0.5, Here we have pretty severe what's called multicollinearity because we can see there's high correlations between all our x variables. You just print that out and you see you might have to get rid of some variable well 0.5 is a little high for me that means a quarter of the variance in one overlaps with the other we're going to have to throw one of those out well which one do we throw out do we throw out x2 or x3 x2 goes with x1 0.32 and x3 1.4 1.4 well I guess we throw at X2 because it's lower lower correlation that's the kind of decision you have to make it's a tough call sometimes because in fact this is a shitty data set that I've pretended to have <laughs> I've made up some bad correlations so you might have to throw something away another assumption we assume a linear model it just means it's all additive that's what linear means in this case, linear means a straight line with a single one, but anything after that it just means you just add them up, okay? There's no multipl- multiplication in there except coefficients, which isn't really multiplication of variables, obviously, because what's well, a constant? What if, your variable, what if your model isn't linear? Think about it. There are a lot of, a lot of psychological phenomena we can think of. Reaction time and uh, time, Right, uh, like, like number of uh, trials, it does this. It's how it happens. People get tired, and it goes up exponentially. Right? Or reaction, you be more, you know, nasty. Reaction time in alcohol, number of drinks and drinks you have, because the reaction time increases like exponentially. And after four or five drinks, you really shouldn't be driving a car at all because you can't react quickly enough in any situation. There's a lot of variables psychologically that are like that. And just in the natural sciences in general. Ah! What's that? Y equals lambda sub 0 to the lambda sub 1 x e. Oh. Well then. That's an exponential, isn't it? That's an exponential. It's got something raised to another power. The power of love. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why I said that. So you scream, ah! and then you realize that if you took the logarithm of all those, it turns into a... Now look, I'm never going to ask you to do this. This isn't a grade 11 math course. Mm. Okay. If you find something that looks like this, you explore exploratory data analysis, and you see a relationship that looks like that, you go find somebody who knows more about statistics than you and more about math than you, and you say, What kind of curve is that? Can I turn that into a straight line? And you can turn an exponential into a straight line by taking the logarithm of the whole thing. Okay? That's all that's happened here. I took the logarithm of both sides of that thing, and I get it. log y equals log, uh, lambda sub zero, log lambda sub one, uh, uh, x sub one, and log e. And now you can do, and I used to always laugh at real math, and we all did because we were stupid kids, when the teacher then said, then you can drop your logs. Uh, we all know. <laughs> drop your logs. <laughs> She's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Fowler, that was very little math her stuff. I don't think she liked me very much. <laughs> she knew her stuff. Mrs. Fowler, I paid attention. I know that you can take the logarithm of an exponential and turn it into a straight line. Okay. So again, I wouldn't ever test you on this. It's something to know though. Uh, like I don't test you on actually doing this. I might test you on the notion that something could be nonlinear and you could make it linear. This is what's called an intrinsically linear regression or relationship. An intrinsically linear relationship is one that I can do a simple transformation on and turn it into a linear relationship. I took something that had something raised to another power and I turned it into a straight line. We do that all the time with reaction times. We do it all the time with oh geez, all kinds of variables like this. Think about the Yerkes Dotson line. I've talked about this many times, right? The idea that the amount of anxiety you're experiencing and test taking performance. It's like this. Right? What's that? What kind of curves is that? What's it called? Parabola. Parabola. Manning's correct. Parabola, it would be y equals something times negative x, because it's negative, right? Going that way. If you don't know that, doesn't matter. Don't worry. But if you do remember, if you do remember, that's great. But if you don't, you look at that and go, "There's got to be a way to turn that into a straight line." And I just take the square root of it because it's x to the x to the x squared, right? Or x to the second power. So you got to go talk. All you do is you talk to somebody who knows a little more, remembers their high school math a little better than you do, and say, "What do I do to fix this?" Because I can see a real relationship here. Not everything is an intrinsically linear relationship, though. You know, if I got something like this, that's a polynomial. That's going to be like a second-level polynomial, right? That is an x squared plus x plus k. Some of those. I don't know that you can actually fix that. I don't think you can So not everything's going to be intrinsically linear. But a lot of things aren't. A lot of things aren't. As I said, we're assuming an additive model. It says over here, straight line. That's with single variable. Or just single things added together. There is no mention of interactions anywhere, which unlike ANOVA, which has it, Right? It's got alpha plus, plus alpha beta. There is no mention of interactions. Here. None. But we know one of the strengths of the analysis of variance approach is that a lot of variables have intera- are interacting with each other. You can always throw something in. A third variable called x1 times x2, you could do that. That's doable. There's nothing wrong with throwing that in there. But every time you do something like that, you lose degrees of freedom. Just keep that in mind. And you always know losing degrees of freedom is never a good thing. It's tough to know what that term should be. Should it be X1 times X2? Should it be X1 to the X2? So this is da- say dangerous. Use at your own risk, and people typically don't. They see previous research that shows this, and they do it again. So the key here is explore to our data analysis to, to, to tell you to, 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 to tell you, what did I do that for? ch 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 changes. So it tells you, you look at it and you go, oh, I see these two, we multiply these two together. Okay. So that's basically some of the basics of it. How do we select our predictor variables? Well, you can have qualitative num- uh, variables. But you have to be very careful. Um, we like numbers. Look, you're, you're coming up with an equation. Y hat equals b zero plus b one x one plus b two x two plus e. We don't say y hat. Oh, you can see how I could, if b one equals seven, I could put three in there and I can multiply seven times three. That's easy. If it's hair color, I can't multiply seven times brown. Right? You can't, you could be 7b plus 7r. You, you can't do that. So you can't really use qualitative variables. You can if they're binary. Right? Because think about it if it's sex, male, female, don't get into transgender, gender identities. I'm talking about number of Y chromosomes you have. You got a zero or you got one. And I know there are people with more than one. They're exceedingly rare and elegant Denmark. That's just because the first study—if I maybe don't get the reference—the first study about people with more than one Y chromosome was in the Danish prison system. Anyway, that's a very—that's a joke with an exceedingly small range. Anyway, point is, male and female—you can either be male or not. So let's see, how would we code that? Well, Dave gets a one for maleness, and then Maddie gets a none and then Jesse gets a one, and Josh gets a one. See what I'm doing here? It's really the names, and uh, Carly gets zeros. It's easy. I'm coding maleness. It's binary. It's got a zero and a one. I could have gone the other way. It's not sexist. (sighs) Someone would say that. I don't think You? you guys, I'm sure some people, if they walk by, would have sexist. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, (laughs) So, we could, yeah, and, and again, I'm talking about just your parts. Not really talking about that. That's offensive. So, it gets to be a problem, though, with hair color. And let's pretend there are four hair colors. More than that, but let's say there's four. There's blonde, right, and there's red, and there's brown, and there's black. We can go with that But yeah, by the way, 0 and 1, not 1 and 2. Because you're going to come up with an equation, and is two? if you get 2 for being a guy, are you twice more manly than a woman? Doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. If 1 going to be 1, a 0, okay? Just because of the math. It's going to be a problem. Oh, I didn't mention this on the slide. Um, but if we had different hair colors, we could do a thing called dummy coding. So you're setting up your data set. I didn't expect that to be there. I forgot that was there. You a lot of whiteboard today. So we're going to go with dummy coding. First thing we're going to rate is... The variable is going to be called red-hairedness. Right? Now I get a zero on red-hairedness. And for black-hairedness, I get a zero. And for brown... I get a zero. And for blonde, oh, I got one. That's how we could mathematically, quantitatively turn a qualitative variable into quantitative. Right, so Maddie's got brown hair, we'll say. So she would get a zero, a zero, a one, and a zero. I've now, however, taken a single variable and turned it into four variables. right? have any redheads in here, but you know, you understand what I'm doing. Dave's got black hair, so he'd get a, he'd get a, let's see, a zero, a one, a zero, and a zero. See how it works? You can do that. It's pretty, it's not done very often. I would suggest not doing that. It's, it's, it's a pain. Just the coding itself is a pain. Now, Likert scales, you know the Likert scale is one to seven, right? Those kind of things. Wonderful. Could go into nine, could be whatever. So it's your score on a, and let's say we sum them all together. We're gonna. Uh, this is what we're doing. We are doing an experiment. We're trying to predict how angry someone is by the color of their hair. So we've got, we've dummy coded uh, me and then Madeline and then Dave. Okay. Now. We have some scale. We're going to call it the uh, Dupuis anger management instrument for teaching, or damn it. And I get 73. Is that a 75? Paul once said Broadbeck is an open book, and the title of that book is Anger. Maddie's a lot less angry than me. We'll give her a 40. Dave always seems relaxed. it's kind of chilled, you know, so we'll give him 30. Now we're going to try to predict this. I should have given Dave 30. Let's give me 70. And we're going to give Dave 35. Okay. There's a reason I did that. Okay. I think we'd all agree that Dave's a pretty relaxed guy. I've never seen, I've never seen him get upset. Maybe he does. I've not, I've not seen him. Maddie's, I know Maddie better, but she certainly is a pretty relaxed person, generally, compared to me. <laughs> Hitler was relaxed, compared to me. Um, a little. God law, lecture's over. Okay, but this is a Likert scale. We all responded to questions. And we give it a 1 to 7 rating. Okay? Okay. Oh, they're numbers. That looks good. Am I twice as angry as David? That's, that says 70 to 35. It would, it would, but is it really the case? Probably not. Right? It's probably not the case. that I'm by a lot more. <laughs> um... So, Likert scales are so tempting because they're numbers. They're so tempting to treat them like they're elapsed time or height or something, and they're not. They are just, they may as well be, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times they may as well be um, brown, black, red, and white, or blonde, right? Okay. So just something to be careful of. Some like our scales are great. IQs are a really good one. IQs could almost be seen as an almost-ish ratio scale. But a lot of these other scales that we develop, uh, don't think so. Oh, Experimental variables are great. What if I said, what group are you in? And we're going to assign people to groups. A1 and A2. Well, for A, you get a 1 or a 2. Or well, you probably got be code that 0s and 1s. Well, there's not going to be any multicollinearity because I only assign people to different groups. So they can be useful. What we want to do in the end is build a model. Because all these variables are going to correlate somehow and, and explain a little bit of extra variation no matter how many you have. My friend Todd did a thing where he was predicting the number of cigarettes people smoke per day. Um, because trying to predict to get an accurate measure of how much cigarettes people smoke per day from a, for an MD, what he's got to do is take a, um, a saliva sample and send it off to a lab and measure the, the salivary coat which is a stable half, it's got a half life, like 24 hours, of stable metabolite of nicotine. That's a pain. Wouldn't it be easier if you could come up with a questionnaire, people could answer some questions? What, so what Todd, my friend Todd, did is he went out to the Internet Science Center uh, in Toronto, and he... Had a little table set up. It's a great place to collect data because people like science. So they show go, oh, I'll do this. And he had smokers to do it. And he had them tell how many cigarettes they smoked per day. And he had to answer all these questions. How many years have you smoked? Could you quit today? Zero for no, one for yes. Uh, what's your time to first cigarette in the morning? Goes through all this stuff. Collected data from 500 people collected 23, vari- 23 variables, cigarettes per day, and 22 others. And he actually did get a salivary cotinine and nicotine level. He then came up with a model to predict cigarettes per day with four behavioral measures that was as accurate as the, as the cotinine and nicotine levels. And it, was a, it would involve an MD saying, what's your time to a cigarette? Um, what's the maximum number of cigarettes you've smoked per day, what's, could, could smoke in a day? What's the minimum number you could smoke in a day? and what was the, could you quit today? And he had an equation, a model he put that into, and he could predict just as accurately as he could with taking a slide set. He built a regression model. But he had 23 variables to start with, and he went down to four. So how do you choose what variables to use? Well, it's different from ANOVA. In ANOVA, we're making... We're sort of see if we have significant effects. In multiple regression, we're building a model. We're saying, excuse me, we're saying this is how the world works. So, I usually start out with a lot of variables, like my friend Todd starting out with his 23 variables. I still have that data set. Um, I used to use it as the final assignment. i just give you all the data and say, find the best model. He did that. So, just be happy. See what it did to him? So did Lori though. She do it too. I've eased up. Well, you can do all possible models and then look at which one has the nicest R squared, or adjusted R squared, or something like that. Okay. If you got three variables, X1, X2, and X3, there are seven possible models. There's the X1 model, the X2 model, the X3 model, the 1, 2, the 1, 3, the 2, 3, and the 1, 2, 3. That's seven. I can look at seven different ones, yeah. It'll take me 20 minutes. Computer spits it out makes that noise as well. You should take your computer in and get it fixed. (laughs) With 4, there are 15. I could even do 15 different regression models. I could do that. Now, with 10, there's like, I don't know, I know the number. I don't think I can calculate it. It's like one of those things you'll never know. Like, what's the square root of a million? So, and with 23, there are literally, it was some stupid number I calculated. And I remember when I gave that assignment to people, in at U of T, and people decided to print out all possible regressions. And they got, remember, 200 pages print out for, for term. That was what they were allowed to do. Also, they tied up the entire U of T computer system,
1: because it was busy doing
0: this. I kept getting calls. Professor Broadback, there, I'm just this grad student. Yeah, what's up? Your students are taking over all the computer time. Oh, well, I told you, they only have a certain amount of time. No, the jobs they're submitting to the computer have shut the computers down. <laughs> They've taken over all the CPU cycles. Oh, I probably good. I told them yes. not to do that because <laughs> I did. I literally said, "Please don't run." It was a uh, in, in SAS and SAS. There's a uh, thing called uh, a procedure called All Rank. I said, "Don't run All rec. Okay, I will then. <laughs> One of the things you look at, or you look at what's called residual plots. They can be really useful. The residual plots I showed you last time are really just graphs of the residuals, right? Okay. That can be useful because that's the way it should look. It's 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 just random. You can't, the, 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 the uh, correlation between the X variable, so let's say this is X2. The correlation between that X variable and the residuals, there isn't one. And there shouldn't be one. It shouldn't be as X2 gets bigger, it makes bigger prediction errors. We don't want that. We don't want like some kind of cone shape coming out. right? We don't want all the residuals going like that. That would tell us it's a, it's a curve. That would tell us it's this. We want it to be just random around a line. So that's pretty useful. We can also find anomalies. What if you found, you look at this and you say, oh yeah, that's all nice, there's one up here. something wrong with that one. My friend Todd, when he collected those data, one of the things he found was one, he found it's either a coding error or the person responded incorrectly because the guy said he smoked 400 cigarettes a day. It's probably 40 and it's a coding error. The person hit the zero twice. 400 cigarettes a day, that's like two cartons. That's like screw the Olympics, go pro, right? I mean, that's, yeah. So no one smokes that much. That's going to be in the new Olympics that only Russia has with, with, with Crimea. Just the two of them We'd be like, no, we need freestyle smoking. You can find nonlinear relationships, and I talked about that. So residual plots are very useful. You look at them. And computers can't look at residual plots yet. They probably will someday. But right now, you use your own judgment. Okay. There are three automatic methods to find the best model. One's called forward selection. It's an automatic method. It starts with the X that has the biggest R squared. That makes sense to me. Explains the most, has the most overlap with Y. In this case, would be X1. And then you add the next variable, it gives the biggest jump in R squared. So it tests all of them and says, what gives the biggest jump? Well, that would be here, would be X3 in this case. And then it would add X2. And it goes on until the jump in R squared isn't big enough. And what you do is you have to define what not big enough is. And usually you don't screw with the defaults. And because there's a standard way this is done. So, OK, don't worry about it. What's F star? F star is just, it's an F, because it's a variance thing. See, look, mean squared for regression of X1 given X2s in the model divided by the total amount of variance that X1 and X2 account for. OK? That's all F star is. And you just say, how big does this F have to be every time I add a variable? And when it isn't big enough, that F isn't big enough, it just stops. It says, here's your model. And again, it made that noise. It's got a problem. You go backwards. You start, it's exactly the opposite. You start with all the variables in the model and start taking ones out that have the smallest effect on F star. Until you get a big jump in F-star, you go stop, I quit. Oddly enough, sometimes backwards elimination gives you a different solution in forward selection. It's weird. What if we put them together and we did stepwise regression? This combines the two. It goes forward and it checks F-star for each variable every time and it drops some it might drop one. So it goes, okay, that went up. Oh, but there's some overlap with this other would Throw it out. Now we can throw that one out. And this is one where you really don't want to screw with the with the uh, defaults because there are two values. Uh, you, you, you can set the criteria if you want to for adding and dropping, but you shouldn't. Uh, this is another problem my students got to at U of T. They They said make the f star for dropping bigger than the f star for leaving, and then they just go in and out, in and out, just gets caught in an infinite loop, and Professor Broadbeck, there, your students have taken over all the computer cycles to the university again. So, f to enter has to be greater than or equal to f to leave. If it's not, variable goes in, variable goes out, variable goes in, variable goes out, and it just gets caught. It just go in and out, in and out. Horrible. Add x1. Oh, it's no good. Drop x1. Oh, here comes x1. It's a good one. Oh, better throw x1 out. And it just gets caught. So you don't screw with the defaults. Just generally don't play with them. This is what people use. Uh, I read a paper about this saying that the best thing that these automatic methods do is they give you a model. It's usually not the best one, but they give you a model. They don't look... All they do is look at these f's. These f-stars. That's all they look at. They don't look at residual plots. They don't look for anomalies of any sort. They don't care about multicollinearity, except in the very general sense of extra variation. They don't look at something and go, oh, that's a nonlinear relationship. I could fix that. Nope. You know what the... Something like this, if you did... I said the other day, if you you did a regression with something that's curvilinear like that, you'd get uh, the correlation here between x and y, is actually zero, and that's a perfect parabola. <coughs> and stepwise regression, oh, that was a horrible one. So it's a problem. So here's what I do, or have done. This is an approach that I've taken in the past. I start with a correlation matrix. I look at all the variables and the y's. All the variables and the y's. Okay. I pick a subset of those that correlate highly with y and not very highly with each other. And if I'm lucky, I've got four variables, or three. And then it's like, oh, I can look at all of them. The rest, if you can, it'd be nice to look at all possible models. Not always the case, but that's what I would do. Or like I said, what I've done this a little bit. I then try all three automatic methods, forwards, backwards, and stepwise and I look for outliers, and I look at residual plots to look for any other problems. And then I put it away for a week, and I do it again. Because if I've got a lot of variables, like if i got 20, and this is what I did. In fact, it was a a question we had, excuse me, when I was in grad school probably oh, was our TA, and he gave us the, the, the 500, data, 500 record 23 variable data set, and we assigned was we'll find the best model. That's all it was. And this is the way that me and my friends did it, is we just looked at a bunch, we came up with seven, I believe it seven variables. We threw out like, well, 15 of them right away. It's like, these are useless. They don't correlate enough with Y. And then we couldn't do all possible models, because seven, you're getting up into the you know, millions. So you can't do seven. It's not millions, but it's a big number. So instead, what we did is we did all three stepwise, forward, and backward. Uh, I think two of the three agreed. And then we went through. We had, like, paper all over the place. We did this. We're still happy to go to graduate school. You do stacks together. And you all this, these papers wind up. Go look at the residual plots. Oh, I found a problem here. We found the guy that said he smoked 400 cigarettes a day. We fixed that. Things like that. And then... You put it away for a couple days and do it again because there's so much data you've been looking at, you might have missed something. And that is it. So achievement unlocked. course is done. Um, wait a second. Two things. I'm um, making a note here. Huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction inside Maybe you'll find someone else to help you Maybe Black Mesa That was a joke